You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We'd like to welcome you back to our series called Redefined. Okay? This is a um, preaching that will last in the next 16 weeks. Okay? This is probably the, the, the longest ever in the history of Victory to do a, a series like this, 16 weeks. And we are going to dive in basically on the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? If you know the Sermon on the Mount, this is uh, the longest and the most explicit exposition of Jesus on how we should live our lives as disciples. So it's an exciting thing. Uh, we've been on our, this is our fifth week already. So if you've missed out on that, this is your first time, you've missed out on that, please uh, go just uh, download our Victory app uh, in iTunes or Google Play and then begin to listen to our podcasts, right? Okay? So it's great. And, you know, um, I'd just like to share basically what, what uh, uh, GodQuestions.org kind of prepared. If they were to um, put in one sentence the Sermon on the Mount, which is from chapter 5 to 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, if they were to put it in one single sentence, it would be this. They said the Sermon on the Mount is how to live a life that is dedicated to and pleasing to God, free from hypocrisy, full of love and grace, full of wisdom and discernment. It's an amazing thing, right? I love this statement. I love this sentence. To, to summarize basically the Sermon on the Mount, this is really about pleasing our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, which we, you've, you've seen it, He said that, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but what? To what? To fulfill them. Okay? Why was that? Okay? Why, why did Jesus have to say this? Because in their time, okay, during the time of Jesus, the, the Jewish community, the Jewish people, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, they actually misunderstood Jesus. Why? Because Jesus kind of offended them many times about the law. Okay? So they uh, totally misunderstood Jesus, but they also totally misunderstood the whole law, the whole context of the law of Moses. Right? So instead of that, instead of understanding the heart of the law, what happened was they were about external things. It was about traditions or religion. Okay? Religion, you have to do this almost automatically, right? Kind of like coming to church every Sunday, right? It's a religious thing that you do. There's nothing wrong with it, all right? But when religious activities or traditions basically take the place of the law of God, there's something wrong there. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I'm not here to abolish the law. Although, that's the perception of the Pharisees. To them, they thought, Jesus... You are against us. You are against the law. In fact, just to give you some examples of that, remember that Jesus healed during what? Sabbath, right? You all know this. And they were offended because this is the law of Moses and he was actually doing work during Sabbath. Okay? So in one way or another, the, to the eyes of the Pharisee, Jesus was actually offending the law. So they thought that he was abolishing the law. What else? When his disciples washed their hands before eating, the Pharisees said, they're, they're ceremonially unclean. They should have washed their hands first because according to tradition, they should do that. So again, another strike mark in, in Jesus about the law. How about this? How about this? Um, the disciples fasted. They did not fast, right? And the Pharisees, they were saying, how come your disciples are not fasting? Jesus says, not your time. There will, be a, there will come a time when they will fast. And again, they were offended by what Jesus was saying. What else? When Jesus was eating with and dining with the tax collector, remember that? When he was dining with sinners, they were also offended by that. In fact, the Pharisees said, said uh, um, actually they gave an offense that Jesus, he did some blasphemy. Why? Because he considered himself as the Son of God. Of course, we all know right now that he is the Son of God. Amen. But the thing was, to them... The Pharisees, they, they looked at, misunderstood Jesus as coming against the law. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come here to abolish the law. In fact, I came here to fulfill the law or the prophets. 
Why? Because the prophets prophesied about Him. That's their whole story. That's the whole thing. And, and because they were religious and because of these traditions, they became so legalistic. In fact, they became self-righteous. You know, I'm better than that person. I'm holier than that person. They became proud. In fact, they were very condemning, especially to the sinners. That's why they couldn't accept Jesus having meals with sinners. And that's the whole thing. The Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus came there to, to talk to His disciples, He redefines that. He redefines it to His disciples in such a way that we all can now understand the original meaning of the commandments of God or the law of God. Today is week five. Everybody say week five. And we are going to talk about a very, very sensitive, sensitive issue. Okay? It's very controversial, this law. Um, in fact, my prayer, my prayer tonight that all of us, okay, all of us will open our hearts and let God speak to us tonight. So if that is, if you're willing, are you willing? Okay, that's about 50. Are you willing? Okay, that's all of us. Now, if you are really willing to, uh, to allow God to talk to us tonight, I want you to stand on your feet and open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. And I want to read it for you, beginning in verse 27. The Bible says that you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It, is, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, our heart and our, and our asking today is that you that you will open our hearts, our minds, Lord God, that we may truly understand this word. Let everything that will come out, Lord God, from this mouth come from your heart. Lord, I pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to minister to us tonight. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, I desired to be a lawyer, believe it or not. Yes. I, des I desired to be a lawyer, and in fact, I enrolled in our College of Law in, in Baguio City. And um, the, the, the only reason why I enrolled in, in the College of Law is because I wanted basically to protect our family business. Because it's kind of hard. You know, there's so many laws that you don't understand nowadays. And during that time, I said, I want to learn law so that the law can work for me. Okay? Because you, know you know how it is, right? Uh, you just don't know, huh, may law palang ganon? I didn't know that. And then you're, you're, you're being accused of something. It's kind of hard, right? So I wanted to be a lawyer. In fact, my motto, okay, my motto was this. Use the law to go around the law and let the law work for me. That's, that, that's what, that was my motto. And I, I totally enjoyed studying all our cases, okay? Because even if, even if you are the accused, basically, you've done wrong. You're the criminal, okay? And you are the, the, the lawyer. You are defending this criminal. What, what can actually transpire there if you're good enough to read the provisions, the exemptions, exemptions in the rule, you can actually win the case. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Just some technical thing, you can win a case. And that's how it is, okay? You see, in, in law, okay? In law, you win this case because an accused has to be proven guilty beyond reasonable doubt. So if there was no guilt or proof of guilt, there can be no prosecution. Now here's the tension, okay? Here's the tension. Listen, 
Whether or not you agree with me, we are all like lawyers. Yeah. Don't your neighbor say, you are like lawyer. Come on. <laughs> You're like lawyers, like, you know, these guys. You know why? You know why? We tend to look at God's law in a way that is like, you're like a defense lawyer. Okay? For as long as I have not been proven guilty by God's law or commandment, I cannot be held liable to Him. You know what I'm saying? Okay, just to give you an example. Okay, just to give you an example. Um, there was a time when I was a young Christian, somebody said to me, uh, what about white lies? Okay? White lies, okay? So there's black lies and now there's white lies. So, they said, they said, you know, it's not written in the Bible that, you know, do not white lie. There was nothing like that. So I said, yeah, that, 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 that can be, you know, that can be contested. But how many of you know that a lie is a lie? And in God's eyes, it is detestable to God. We all know that. How about this? Um, sometimes we have a way of being a defense lawyer and we say, um, Lord, did you really say that uh, tithing is still uh, applicable in the New Testament, the New Covenant? Was it not in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament days? And, you know, tithing should not be done already. How, how many of you kind of, don't raise up, don't, don't lift up your hands. But you know what I'm saying, right? Here you are, you're defending yourself, you're defending your case to God. Wala naman dito sa New Testament yan eh. That's our Old Testament. And somehow, here you are, you become a defense lawyer before God. But we all know that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but He fulfills it, right? So in effect, really, if you think about it, tithing does matter to God because everything belongs to Him. How about this? Ever heard of this when you were, when you were still uh, a young Christian? Say, how about drinking? There's nothing wrong with drinking. It doesn't say there. You know, drunkenness, yes, but drinking... How about this? Um, I, actually, I had a, an encounter with one of the, uh, one, of the uh, one of the people I was basically mentoring. And he said, Pastor Saul, uh, it does not mention in the Bible about smoking. I think okay lang naman mag-smoke, diba? It's not in the Bible. Have you seen it in the Bible? Have you? No, right? So, here you are trying to make a defense, Right? You know what I'm saying? One way or another, all of us have tried to be a defense lawyer before God and say, hey, you know, God, it's not written in the Bible. Or maybe your interpretation of it is different. We have looked to scriptures in a way that is kind of like the Pharisees, very legalistic, and we make our defense to God. Just like in the days of Jesus, most of the Jewish people did not understand the provisions of the law. It was all about external things. It's not there, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically share to you tonight three things. We'll divide this into three parts. The Sermon on the Mount regarding adultery, okay? With this, this is my first point. This is what we call the prohibition. What is the prohibition, okay? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, it says, You have heard... That it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus was referring to the seventh commandment. You all know this, found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, which says, thou shalt not com commit adultery. So question, what is adultery? Okay, what is the meaning of adultery? According to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, okay, they define adultery as this. I will just, you know, make it. Voluntary sexual relationship between a married man and someone other than his wife or between a married woman and someone other than her husband. And if you look at Old Testament days, okay, the Old Testament, basically the law, the law of Moses, okay, the punishment, the punishment for adultery, committing adultery is found in Deuteronomy chapter 22. They have a long list of sexual sins. And it says there that if a married man is illicitly involved with another woman, then they are both to be stoned. 
to death. But the punishment really is death. Why? Because adultery was a grave sin. It required capital punishment. That's what it is. It is a breaking of a marital covenant. You find this in Malachi. And it indicates the sanctity of marriage. Okay? Let me, let me share to you what Bob Deffenbaugh says. He says, Breaking one's marriage covenant defiles one's marriage. Breaking one's marriage covenant defiles one's marriage. Now, if you understand Old Testament, the Old Testament days, okay, where God, God is going to preserve a seed for the Messiah to come. You all know this, right? We all know that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came from what? From David, the lineage of David. So when you talk about God's desire for a Messiah to come, okay, breaking the marriage vow is a most serious offense. It is, it is clearly as, um, it's a very serious offense both to God and to the law. Can you imagine you are breaking it? The lineage of Jesus Christ. It was holy to God. It was very holy to God. If you look at how the Pharisees viewed the law on adultery, it's this, okay? Quickly, I'm going to share this. It's a man for the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. This is how they viewed adultery, okay? A man was only guilty of adultery if he actually had sexual relations with a married woman other than his wife. In other words, they have restricted or limited the scope of the seventh commandment, okay, only to the, to the bare act of the law. In other words, there was a, an action made. You are only guilty if you did it. Are you still here tonight? And you, you understand this, right? Okay. You are made guilty only if there was an action made. That is where they looked at this law. Question is, where did the scribes and the teachers of the law have gone wrong? How did they, what did they miss? Okay? They actually miss a very important commandment. It's not only the seventh commandment, but they also forgot the tenth commandment. The tenth commandment says that you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. This is a summary, but one of that in the tenth commandment is you cannot, you shall not, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Covet in Hebrew means hamad. And hamad means to strongly desire that which is not yours. It essentially means to yearn for or to lust after. So while the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were only looking to the act of the crime, they forgot the underlying motive. It was already given to them by God Himself. That's why Jesus did not change the law. It was still there. Covet. Lusting. It's all about the heart that covets, the heart that desires, the heart that lusts. And this is how Jesus interprets it this time which is our second point, the interpretation. Okay? If you look at the verse 27 to 28, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you. Okay? I mean, think of, imagine this. He was, he was saying, you know, no, 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 no. It's not only the act of adultery, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus comes in with authority. He says, but I say to you, it's kind of like revealing himself, hey, I am the word. I made the word. I am the authority. He expounds it more. It's not just about the act or the deed of adultery. It's something else. Now, question is this. What? does it really mean to look at a woman with lustful intent? Okay? We need to understand that Jesus did not forbid looking at a woman. There's nothing wrong. Baka naman pag alis yun dito, no, sabi ni pastor. You're going out, you know, probably you're all barring down on your heads. I can't look at, you know. There's nothing wrong with looking. That's not the case. 
but it is the continued looking with impure thoughts that spells a difference. And it? Meaning there is now a lustful intent. There is now a purpose for looking. And the purpose is lustful. John Dorham says, says it better. He says that whoever stares or continuously looks at the woman for the purpose of lusting after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's the whole point. The scribes, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, for them, for as long as there is no act of adultery, they were not guilty. Okay? The religious leaders were only after the letter of the law. But they did not understand the spirit behind the law. Because this is quite important. In other words, Jesus taught differently. He's saying that one doesn't have to commit the act to be guilty of adultery. One is just as guilty when one looks at a woman lustfully. That's what it is. Do you know what it's called? It's called this. It's called mental adultery. And, and the truth is this. A vast majority of men are guilty of this sin. They have absolutely no intention of attempting to do the crime or the action or the physical offense, but they have already committed mental adultery. You know, pornography, be it in magazines, um, movies like R-rated movies, X-rated movies, especially the internet, caters to mental adultery. The enemy, the devil, wants to steal he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. That's his only ploy. And we are his victims. People are. Grant Richardson says, It is not wrong to notice the physical beauty of a woman, but it is wrong to take her to bed in the mind. Fantasizing immorality is sinful, just as overt immorality is sinful. Overt means open. Open immorality. Jesus, in effect, was redefining to his disciples here in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Picture this. He was redefining adultery, not just done in action, but it can be done through our eyes, through our minds, and through our heart. And here's an alarming thing. If you know the Barna Group, they're a Christian organization. They made a study. This is in America, okay? Not here in the Philippines. Disclaimer. But in America, this is a shocking news for us. In that study, they, they found out that most pastors, about 57%, and youth pastors, about 64%, admit they have struggled with pornography, either currently or in the past. 57% pastors. And then 64% youth pastors. Another thing that they have researched, overall, 21% of youth pastors and 14% of pastors admit they currently struggle with pornography. About 12% of youth pastors and 5% of pastors say they are addicted to porn. 87% of pastors who use porn feel a great sense of shame about it. 87%. 55% of pastors who use porn say that they live in constant fear of being discovered. It's not a joke. It's happening even in church. But it's happening even here in the midst of Christ church. Not saying here, okay, but at least in America. And you know what? What's kind of disturbing to me was this. They found this, okay, the Barna Group says that while porn has typically been a man's domain, it is used among young women today, ages, uh, I think, 20 and below, women are already exposed to pornography. And the question is, the big question for all of us is this, why do Christians still struggle with lust? Why do we still struggle with that? If you look around us, okay, we, we actually live in a very sensual world. How many of you go past by 
um, our uh, highway and see those billboards with, you know, women in, you know, I don't know, fitness, whatever. Sometimes they, you know, they have a woman selling tires. I mean, what does a woman have to do with, you know, tires? Gulong ng kotse, diba? It's 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 all there, whether it's in a, in the song now, right? How I many of you you know listen to the radio and talks about all these sexual things? Movies, television, internet, advertisements—they they all are unlawful sexual stimulation to lust. In other words, temptations are all around us. But why do Christians, despite having a new life in Christ, still sin? The Apostle Paul gives us the reason why in Romans chapter 7, verse 23. This is what Paul says. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So Paul was born again. He was a disciple. He was a Christian, but yet he struggled. He illustrates this as having a war. Okay? There is a war. A, and the battle is here. He's waging, there's a, wage, there's a, a battle being waged in the mind. In fact, someone, someone said, you know, the last or the final battle a Christian would ever, ever face is the battle of his mind or her mind. And that's true. Every single day, Christians wage war in their minds. I believe all of you agree with me. All of us, every single day, temptations are there. And in, the, in, in, in his earlier verse, in verse um, 17, Paul says, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. In other words, sin dwells in all of us. Yep. How I many of you are saved by Jesus Christ? Lift up your hand. Come on. Amen, right? How many of you do not sin anymore? Sin dwells in all of us. While we are still in this flesh, we wage war with our sinful desires and our sinful nature. That's, that's a reality. And it takes the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to change us, renew us from inside out. You know, um, it's amazing how people would notice, especially if you're a Christian. I've heard this many times. Bakit kaya yung, bakit ganyan siya? Christian pa man din. Ever heard that? Pastor pa man din. You heard that, right? Why? Because we're still not perfect. We're being perfected. Amen. Praise God. But we're not yet perfect. But it does not give us the license to sin. Are you here tonight? Yes, we're not perfect, but it does not give us license to sin. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, sin is not merely a matter of actions and deeds. It is something within the heart that leads to the action. It's here. Problem is here. Okay? Tap your chest. The heart is deceitful, right? Bible says it is deceitful. Sometimes, akala mo, true love na to yung pala. Hindi pala, no? Last pala siya. True love is love that lasts, right? And last, never last. Diba? Hindi talaga eh. That's why Paul says in, in verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's hard, right? Know that sin leads to death. And not just physical death. We're not just talking about you dying. Everybody dies physically, but we're talking about a death that is eternal. That's what it is. Who then can save us from the sin that leads to death? His answer is this. In verse 25, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So in other words, what Paul was saying is that it is really the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
The only way out of this sin is through the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? He says that I myself serve the law of God where? With my mind. What that means is that how much of God's word is in our mind? Because when we give in to the flesh, guess what? We are bounded by the law of sin. Again. That's why we need to fill ourselves with God's word. That I may not sin against God. Why? Because left to ourselves, left to ourselves, we just we won't stand. We won't, we will not win the battle of lust. Men are you here. Left to ourselves, we just cannot win this battle. We need, we need, we need our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus gives us a radical way out of this, which is my third point. It's called the resolution, okay? What is a resolution? Is this, Pastor, like, you know, every new year, I'm making a New Year's resolution. How many of you tried New Year's resolution? Come on. Yeah. How many of you succeeded? then it's not called a resolution. Do you know the meaning of resolution? Resolution means this. It is a firm decision to do or not to do something. It is quality. It is the quality of being determined, resolute. Nothing will change your mind. So how? Well, Jesus puts it this way in verse 29. He says, very radical, right? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. Okay, how many of you are willing to tear out your eyes? Right eye, not the left, because you have the left. And he says, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body Go into hell. Now, you don't take it lightly. It's, it's quite radical what Jesus is saying because it is quite radical for you to go to hell because you just have lustful thoughts. Can you imagine you are in hell? You did not commit adultery, but because you committed adultery, mental adultery, you're in hell. Can you imagine that? Of course, you don't want to imagine that. But that's, that's what Jesus is saying. But what does it really mean? Does it, do we take it literally? Lord, do I have to pluck my eye out? Do I have to you know, cut off my limb? Do I do that? You know, mind you, okay, our early church fathers, basically, okay, the early church fathers, you know what they did to themselves? They, they, they castrated themselves. Okay? If you know castration. Okay? In order just to subdue the sexual lust, the early church fathers, that's what they did. And that's not what Jesus is trying to say. Hello. You're not going to do that. What it meant was this. Dr. William Hendrickson says, it means to take drastic action in getting rid of whatever in the natural course of events will tempt you to sin. That's what it means. You have to make drastic action. Have you ever made a drastic action before? No? No? slow it's kind of like you know kind of like you're sleeping and you're so slow and then take drastic action kind of like that you gotta be like that if there's anything okay if there's anything in the natural course of the events that are tempting you take drastic action in other words cut it off if you are if you're listening to this message today we must identify the people, the places, or the things that tempt us or causes us to sin. I still here. Take drastic action. If you are in an illicit relationship, then maybe you need to give up this relationship because it's not pleasing to God. If, if you're going to places that you shouldn't be in, a, you know, in places like that. Maybe you need to stop. You cut it off. If, if there are things in your 
you know, in your hands that, that makes you sin, maybe you need to cut it off. Maybe cut off the internet. You don't have to pay monthly bills. That's what Jesus is trying to say. If you know that it will cause you to sin, then cut it off. Because it's, it's not nice to be in hell. Right? Sana ginawa mo na lang, di ba? Nag-adultery ka na lang. Nasa hell ka. Eh, pero just in your mind, you'll be in hell. Listen, we need to take drastic action now. Why you don't want to wait for the day that you will give an account to our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want that. We don't want that. John Phillips, okay, not the singer. He says, Christ is not saying cripple yourself. What he is saying is control yourself. Amen? We need to control ourselves. And the good news is this. Paul writes it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Everybody has this. All of us. Okay? God, he says, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There is no temptation. You can't say, you know, Pastor, the devil made me do it. It's not my fault. No, it is still our fault. But God gives us a way out. He always does. He always does. Question is, will you take the first exit out when you are tempted? Exit signs are all over. But here you are still, you know, texting this person who's married. Or maybe here you are still trying to go through the internet, going to these sites that you're not supposed to be. It's really entirely up to us because God says no temptation has overtaken you. Amen. That's a promise. No temptation is not going to be the fault of the enemy. It's your fault. It's our fault. Take radical steps to deal with your passion. Why? Because again, you don't want to be in hell. Now here are some suggestions, okay? On a practical side. How many of you want this? Like this? Take note, right? Okay. Here are some suggestions what you can do to cut off everything. Here it is. First one, okay? Recognize that you are vulnerable. If you're saying, but pastor, you know, I read the Bible. I'm good. I'm a superman Christian. You know, I'm going to go to minister to the, you know, you do that, you're in, in for big trouble. King David, the powerful man in Israel, basically got ensnared with adultery. We all know that, right? What else? Meditate on Scripture. What are you filling your mind and your heart? Is it the internet? But sana internet, Bible na lang. Right? But sometimes we don't. How much of the Word is in all of us tonight or today? How much of God's Word is living inside our lives today? What else? Well, simple. Just flee. If you are being tempted, just take the first exit out. Okay? Don't play around anymore. Just go. Everybody say go. Okay, good. Let's go. Take the exit out. And then do this. Watch your input. What are your eyes looking at today? Okay, watch your input. They say garbage in is garbage out. Okay, what, what are you looking at? Do you know that our eyes and our ears, what we hear and what we see, are, are, are gateways to our soul? And if, you're not, if you are not going to protect your eyes and what you're going to hear, this one it's get, gets corrupted. It's a corrupted file here. That's what's happening. Do you know that China, China was invaded by the Mongolians simply because the gates, the gate where the guard was, they, they actually um, bribed the gatekeeper. 
right? And if you're not, if you are the gatekeeper to your soul, your eyes and your what you're hearing, and you give in to the bribe and temptation of lust, it will corrupt everything. China was conquered by the Mongolians simply because the gatekeeper was bribed. We don't want that in our lives. Amen. Okay, what else? Well, for the ladies, please, okay, please. Everybody say, please. Dress thoughtfully. Dress modestly. You know, I've... Um, if you just walk in the mall, it's just a lot of ladies. Kulo na lang talaga, you know. Na kayo magsuot. Diba? Parang ganun yun eh. It's just crazy. Some, eh, lamig-lamig na nga eh. That's why, that's why our, our, our assembly hall is so cold. Because, you know, let's dress modestly. Amen. Let's help our men. Amen. You, you don't want to be the object of lust. It doesn't last. Right? You want to be the object of love. Amen, ladies? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Um, what else? You need to be accountable. Do you have somebody with you who is coaching you, mentoring you, who is with you in your journey with God? You need them. You need people to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to be accountable to that. And then for the men... Simple. Maintain eye contact. So when you meet a woman, just look at the eyes. Don't look around the curves. You know, don't. And the edges. The curves, the edges. But if it's your wife, it's okay. I, I can look at my wife. And it's okay. And um, lastly is this. You need to think consequences. You need to think consequences. Remember, the severe damage of sexual immorality, what it brings to society. Sex before marriage or outside of marriage can destroy your marriage or your future marriage. And it brings shame to God. So question is, before I really end this, what is Jesus really trying to say? More than anything else, he's talking about adultery, right? Jesus talking about adultery, talking about lust, right? But what is he really trying to say? Lord, what are you trying to say to us? It's about this one word. It's called marriage. It's about marriage. Adultery, lust, that's sin. But in the heart of God, it's about marriage. Why? Because marriage is the, the, the author of marriage is God. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by who? all and the marriage bed kept pure for god will judge mind you this is the warning god will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral marriage in other words is a covenant that god gave as a gift to all of us it's a gift and it should be honored and placed in the highest degree marriage is god's idea in the beginning Find this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, 24. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, right? Not to his friend's wife. To his wife. In Mark chapter 10, verse 9, it says, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So what is Jesus trying to say? It's simple. Adultery separates what God has joined together. That's what it does. Adultery destroys marriages, destroys homes, and families. Adultery, in effect, is unjustly divorcing one's wife. Now, the topic on divorce was also in the heart of Jesus when He, he was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. Divorce was never the idea of God. Divorce came. God allowed divorce okay, because of sin. The topic on divorce is a, another topic that we need to discuss altogether, but we don't have the time. But Jesus spoke, spoke of it in verse 31. He says that it was also said 
whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Okay, referring to the law, right? And what, is, what does Jesus say? But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In effect, in effect adultery dishonors our God. That's what we do. There's an article I'd like to share to you. Um, it comes from this article, How Boyfriends Dishonors Marriage. Okay, Can I just read that to you guys? Are, are you ready for this? Women, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Okay. I know you like this. You know. It says here, The live-in status is an alternative to marriage. Put another way, it is a copy of marriage without the commitment. It means that marriage is no longer seen as necessary, but simply an optional extra, and therefore is a dishonoring of the marriage covenant. Again, if you go back again to the Old Testament days, we all know that a, a man and woman caught in adultery will be stoned to death, right? You all know this, right? But Jesus, again, is not after legalism. Are you here tonight? Okay? He's not after the legalities. Yes, he hates sin. He's not here to abolish the law. But, but Jesus is not about that. You need to understand this. This is now where he comes and fulfills the law. In John chapter 8, a woman, okay, if, I know you all know this, a, a woman was caught in adultery, caught in the act. And this woman was brought to Jesus and they were about to stone this woman. You all know this. This woman who had an adulterous affair. And, and, and they were supposed to be stoned. And Jesus was there. Okay? And what, what did Jesus say? He says, whoever has no sin, cast the first stone. That's what Jesus said. And he was kind of like, well, some scholars say that he was writing the Ten Commandments while he was there. But here's the thing. What happened? Nobody cast the first stone. And we all know this story. In John chapter 8, verse 10 to 11, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Here it is. In the most unprecedented, never seen before way about the law, Jesus does not condemn. Jesus did not stone to death. I mean, he could, right? I mean, after all, guilty, right? Adulterer, guilty. But no, he says, no, I don't condemn you. He now demonstrates for us today that he, he did not abolish the law. In fact, he expounded the law, but he also fulfilled it. How? How? It's very simple because all of us, all of us, that's all of us, if you think about it, nobody can fulfill the requirement of the law. Okay, the requirement is, is that it is punishable by death. That's the requirement of the law. And nobody can fulfill that except Jesus Christ himself. So he steps in and says, wait a minute, I do not condemn you. Condemn me. I'll do it. This is, this is an amazing part. You, got, you, you cannot miss this. We just cannot miss this fulfillment of the law is the grace of God that comes in and embraces the person despite the sin, despite the adulterous affair he embraces this woman and says, I do not condemn you. Jesus was not after the letter of the law. Are you still here? But it was after the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law should bring life. It's about a relationship that Jesus was after. Because everyone, all of us are guilty today. Okay? Nobody's spared. Everybody, including me, yeah, I'm guilty. We're all guilty of this sin. But because Jesus did it for us, this is what happens. Jesus took the punishment of sin so we can live free from sin. Amen?
Can we give God a big hand for that? Call the music team. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know, I, I, I just can't help but think about how Jesus fulfilled this law for us. That's the reason why I, I, I cannot explain how much thankful I am that despite, that despite all the sins that we have committed, Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. God does not condemn us. I want to take this time, if, if, if you have sinned against God, I won't ask you to lift up your hand, but just take this few moments with the Lord. Okay? I know it's dismissal time, but it's okay. But spend time with God. Say, God, if I, have, if I have sinned against you today, whether it's an immoral act, adultery, or whatever it is, pornography, whatever sin that we have, we can stand before God this evening and say, God, please forgive me. Because I know that you have fulfilled the requirement for me. That is you. Just bow down your heads and just silently pray to God, Lord, forgive me, for I am a sinner. I cannot save myself, but I turn to you, Lord Jesus, and ask God that you forgive me for whatever sin that I have done, for whatever thing that I have offended you, O oh Lord. Just ask for forgiveness. Just a few moments. Silently just pray to God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you're here. Lord, thank you, Lord, there's forgiveness even now. Lord, release your grace of forgiveness. Lord, I pray that overtake us with your forgiveness. In fact, if you just want to lift up your hands before God, say, Lord, I, I, just, want, I just want you, Lord. Lord, thank you, Lord God. Lord, come before me and just cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, we want more of you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you are forgiving us and you are cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Lord, thank you, Lord God. Even now, we receive by faith your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's give God a big hand. Hallelujah.